the National Archives podcast series. Modeling for decision-making. Simulating the building environment. Presented by Costas Nantanos. I'm Costas Danos and I'm Head of Conservation Research and Development and I work in collection care here at the National Archives. About two years ago, we initiated a research project that we called Building Environment Simulation in order to provide evidence that supported decisions uh, in relation to the future of this site uh, and the sustainability of the collection of, of the National Archives. The outcomes of the project uh, were very interesting and very encouraging, and we will discuss them a bit later. Uh, but first, I will uh, make an attempt to give you a brief description of a highly complex um, and technical research project. So I'll keep it as simple as possible. And if anyone wants to go into more details later, they can, you can always come and, and talk to me. So what we decided to do for this project, and I'll stress again that that was a research project, so nobody knew from the start whether it will work or to what extent it will work, uh, was to explore the potential of computer modeling in order to inform decision-making in the context of a collection management environment. And I'll cut straight to the chase the question that we, the problem that we wanted to investigate was to answer this question, whether we can provide appropriate environmental conditions, and that is relative humidity and temperature, for the collection so that we prolong its lifetime, but at the same time meet government targets on carbon dioxide emissions and energy consumption. The imperatives for answering these questions were to help meet global reduction targets and mitigate climate uh, change, and also to provide scientific evidence to optimize energy use without damaging the collections. Neither of which are optional for the National Archives because we do have to comply with government targets. And for example, currently, although these things change quite often, the target is to reduce energy consumption by 30% by April 2015 um, relative to a 2009-2010 baseline. And I'm sure you can appreciate without any expertise in the area that 30% is a considerable percentage to achieve just by switching the lights off at night. So we have to do a bit more than that. The additional challenge to the National Archives is that we are not simply an office building uh, and our core aim is to preserve the records. Um, And the best way to do this is by providing appropriate environmental conditions in storage to ensure that we slow down degradation as much as possible. Given the size of the collection and the building that we have, this is not an easy task, and it comes with a hefty demand in energy, um, as we do have to run air conditioning to achieve the required levels of relative humidity and temperature. I will give you a few uh, figures and facts about our repository so that you can get an appreciation of the complexity of the question that we set out to answer in this project. Um, So this is the National Archives, And um, with the older part of the building to the left, Q1, which was built in 1978, and the new part of the building on the right, Q2, that was built in 1996. The building environment simulation project focused only on Q1 on the left, Um, A, because it contains three of our biggest repositories, and B, because the air conditioning system there is over 30 years old, which makes it less reliable in comparison to Q2. So let me show you a little bit about that. Q1 has, this is a cross-section of the building at the bottom and then a, a, a cross-section of it looking at it from above on the top. 
Q1 has four really big air-conditioned plant rooms in the basement of the building, and each plant room provides conditioned air to one quarter of the three floors of repositories directly above it. The space inside the repositories, however, is not partitioned into four quarters, so the plant rooms are all set to operate at the same level, and in theory, the air mixes inside the space to result in a uniform environment. And I said in theory because that could have been perhaps the case if this was an office space, which is how the system was designed to start with. Um, and in that case, it wouldn't be really crucial if it did mix it to produce a uniform environment or not. But in our case, it doesn't always. In reality, we know that the environment varies considerably across the floor and between the floors. And this is the result of numerous alterations of the system over the years that were not always successful, and certainly they were not always well documented, so we don't know exactly what has happened. And in combination with the fact that um, the original provision, as I said, for environmental control for the building was nowhere near as imaginative and sophisticated as it should be um, for a system that is 30 years old to still, be, uh, to still provide a sustainable preservation environment. However, in that respect, and thanks to the effort of our uh, estates and facilities department, several things have improved over the last few years, but still Q1 remains the trickier of our two uh, buildings to manage environmental conditions in the repositories. Because of that, over the last three years, Collection Care has been rigorously monitoring relative humidity and temperature inside the repositories in Q1. These are the three uh, repositories that cover the entire floor space. The yellow numbers are the locations of environmental monitoring sensors that record relative humidity and temperature in the repositories every 15 minutes. So they generate a huge amount of data. And there is basically nowhere to hide from our environmental monitoring system. And this is crucial so that, we, so that when we evaluate the environment that we, that we uh, provide for the records, we don't miss uh, any localized pockets of air with, let's say, high relative humidity, for example. This is not uncommon and can happen due to, as I said, the idiosyncrasy of the system itself, but also the influence of other services uh, in the building, the orientation of the building, and, the, of course, the outdoor environment. As you will see in a minute, the um, availability of the environmental monitoring data was, in fact, the cornerstone of the building environment simulation project. So let's go back to the project. The aim of the project was to create a computer simulation model in order to examine different options, different scenarios in maintaining a sustainable and appropriate preservation environment for the records, whilst at the same time achieving reduction in energy consumption. In view of, as well, building resilience for the future and ultimately inform the ongoing capital investment on the site. So how would the system should be changed if needed to, or the building uh, as well. Um, here is where we called in uh, the expertise of our colleagues at the Centre of Sustainable Heritage at the University College London, who have considerable expertise in computer simulation of building environments, but have never before done it in that scale or in the context of an archival storage unit. And you'll see in a minute why this is a crucial aspect of the specific model that we try to create rather than a model for any other building. The modeling software that was used to create the model is called Energy Plus, and it was uh, developed in the, in the United States, and it's actually free to download on the Internet. 
It's a very sophisticated and very complex um, modeling tool that can simulate relative humidity and temperature inside a given space by taking into account all the different variables that contribute to and influence the indoor environment. And I'll explain shortly how. What is very important in our case is that it can also simulate the energy requirement for any given environment if that is to be achieved through mechanical means, that is through air conditioning. So for every um, uh, possible scenario, we could also simulate the energy required to achieve that um, environment. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a pretty interface and it's not very user-friendly, so you can't really see how it works on, on a computer screen. Um, in effect, it's a series of algorithms that run simultaneously and cross-calculate and combine all the different parameters and then spit out loads and loads of data of relative humidity and temperature and energy consumption. So let me show you what I mean. We have the building envelope and whatever the building is made of and the orientation of it and how, where it is and, and, and the dimensions of it. We have the external, the outdoor environment. We have an air conditioning system, as I said, in Q1. And then um, we have people and, all, and that will include all the functions and all the services inside the building that affect in some way the environment inside the space. We have lights and everything else that produce heat inside the building, which we would call the internal load. And then, as I said, crucial to us, and that's where it becomes interesting, in our case we also have loads and loads of paper and in general hygroscopic material like parchment and photographs and maps and everything that um, will either absorb moisture when there is excess moisture in the air or give out moisture when, there is, when the, air, the surrounding air is dry. So that affects the uh, conditions inside the space by buffering some of the influence of the, the rest of the, the, the factors around, around it. So UCL has developed an additional module to the model that calculates and simulates uh, the moisture and heat transfer between paper and its surrounding space and surrounding environment, which has now been added to Energy Plus. So this is not something that usually um, is taking into account if you're modeling uh, office space because the effect of the hygroscopic materials in the space will be negligible. But it's not in our case simply because of the mass and the quantity of material that we have. So the model is capable of taking into account the, as I said, the heat and moisture transfer, which is what they call this, um, actually, this extra module for the model, plus the influence of the outdoor environment and whatever the air conditioning system does in order to create, to simulate and recreate the relative humidity and temperature data for inside the space. Everybody who has ever tried to model something will tell you that a model is as good as the data you put in in the first place because we have to describe all these factors to the model so that the model can put the algorithms to work and pro provide the data that we want. So in order for an accurate simulation, we had to provide all these sets of, of data. And here you can see that the environmental monitoring data is at the top of the list. And you'll see again later how that was used. And this may sound straightforward, but it's not always easy, um, simply because we don't always have accurate information about any of these. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, having at least a, a year's worth of environmental monitoring data was crucial for the development and the construction of the model. 
The next slide will hopefully make it a bit more clear how the model is actually um, constructed. So we start with, obviously, the inputting data of all these uh, information that is needed, as I said before, the building dimensions, the material properties of the materials that are used in the building and everything else that exists in the space. Internal load, that includes, as I said, lights and any other source of heat. Uh, the operation of the air conditioning system, and that was very, very critical in our case because we didn't know exactly how the air conditioning system works. And, and obviously the environmental monitoring data, the data, the actual data that we have recorded inside the space. Once you put all this into um, the software, the software will produce a prototype of the space. You have given it all the dimensions and everything else. And then from that, a set of um, relative humidity and temperature data, which we then feed back into the computer and compare them with the actual data, the ones that we have been recording for, for the last three years, to see whether and how well they match. And there is a continuous sort of process of calibration where the data are constantly compared back with the actual data until we get to an agreement that we are satisfied with by tweaking the different elements in the, in the model. We, in fact, achieved um, an accuracy well above what we expected in the first place. We were, I think... Peter was there when we were setting the requirements. I think we were happy with something like um, 10% or 5%. I think it was 5%, yes. It was 5%, and the actual model, the accuracy um, varies month by month, and in the best months, it's 0.5%, plus minus 0.5%. In the worst month, it's zero, uh, plus minus 2.5%. So it's very, very, it very accurately simulates the exact conditions that we have been recording inside the space. So once the calibration process is, is done, we get the final model. And notice the, the flow map um, shows the exact zones of how the model calculates the, um, the environmental conditions. So it doesn't give us one set for the entire space because we know it's not the same across the floor, but it gives us the conditions across the floor different, in different zoning. And when we had the final, mode and we're, uh, final model and we were satisfied with the accuracy, then we went back to the input data and changed things that we were interested in to see what the uh, result in the environment would have been inside the space. So we got from that the different scenarios, and for each scenario, a different set of conditions, plus, as I said, the energy requirement for each one of those, each one of those scenarios. The scenarios we did try and the scenarios we were interested in um, were grouped under this heading, so we changed uh, the outdoor, outdoor conditions and we tried um, the worst-case climate change prediction scenarios to see um, how much more energy we would have to put in into the building to maintain the conditions where we wanted to if, say, outside temperature rose by 3 degrees. Um, changes to the structure of the building. So we tried things like blocking the windows in the repositories, partitioning the space, closing the fire satters overnight, and things like that. Uh, changes in the operation of the air conditioning system, which proved to be actually the most crucial of the set of um, scenarios. Uh, so we tried things like shutting the system down overnight um, or changing the operational set points for, for the air conditioning system. Um, changes in the content of the repositories, we tried doubling the amount of paper or, or halving the amount of paper in the, in the repository and see whether that would have 
a considerable effect in the environment and whether there would be any benefit in doing that. And then obviously changes at the internal load. So we tried um, changes in the levels of occupancy, how many people work in the repositories, putting, uh, say, scanning operation in there, which would, it would increase the, the, the amount of people in the repositories and so on and so forth. We tried about 16 different scenarios uh, and combinations of them. Um, I can tell you it takes days for the model, the final model, to run its simulation. So it's not an easy change the number and then see what happens. It takes a long time for the, all the calculations to, to occur. And what the, mo the model gives us at the end, and this is what we asked for, um, the straightforward um, graphs of relative humidity and temperature, which are not so easy to interpret because we're talking about a two-dimensional space of the floors of the repositories, we also got several ways of assessing whether the environment is appropriate according to the way we assess it in collection care. But most importantly, we got all these flow maps that actually match the way we like to assess the environment that show month by month the different areas in the repositories and how and, and highlight the areas where conditions were outside levels that we had specified as appropriate. So just to summarize the main and so the most important um, outcomes of the, of the different scenarios, the model showed us that 70% uh, of our total energy demand goes for cooling, and that's for cooling the space for comfort, but also cooling for dehumidification, because that's how dehumidification is achieved, by uh, using cold water to extract moisture from, from the air. So most of our energy goes for dehumidification, especially over the summer months, and also for cooling because we keep our repositories at fairly low temperature. That's, as I said, dehumidification and temperature control. We discovered that if we shut down the air conditioning system over the weekends, uh, and that is Saturday night till Monday morning, because we closed uh, on Monday, um, we can achieve up to 20%, 22% saving uh, without affecting the uh, current environmental conditions in the repository. So in effect, the building alone, without their conditioning running, can hold the conditions at the same level for that duration of having the system uh, off. I think, in fact, there is um, a maximum saving for the air conditioning system turned off between Saturday and Tuesday morning if we include Monday, since we are closed on Monday. There are some uh, implications in that, but that's what the states, where that's where states and facilities come in. But if we do that um, beyond Saturday to, to Tuesday, if we continue switching on and off the system, we actually don't um, achieve any savings. We probably go um, negative into energy consumption because of the startup required for the system every time it's turned on and off. So we 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 did try different scenarios to see what would be the optimum in that sense. The scenario that showed the biggest saving in energy was uh, by seasonally adjusting the set points for the air conditioning system inside the, the repository. So whereas at the moment we keep it uh, at the same level all year, which is around uh, 16, uh, 18 degrees uh, for temperature and 50, 55% relative humidity, uh, if we seasonally drift that to match closely the external, the outdoors environment, then we can achieve up to 43% saving. 
And that's not just without affecting the preservation environment, as in uh, the, the second one, but in fact with improving the quality of the environment inside the, inside the space. Um, and that's because we would accept a relatively faster rate of degradation over the summer months, but the rest of the year, which we can actually achieve the conditions we want anyway in, in the repositories in Q1, but over the rest of the year, especially in the winter months, we, we, we balance out uh, that few couple of months in the summer, a few weeks in the summer, uh, to that extent that we actually improve the preservation of the, the records. So the set points that we suggested to try out that uh, the scenario of seasonal drifting don't go outside 40 to 55 and don't go outside 16 to 20. So we're not talking about um, radically changing what is generally accepted as appropriate range for, for the records, but instead of keeping it stable all year, to be consciously drifting it from um, January to December. Uh, that's actually, in, in money, um, it results in about £180,000 saving a year. But that's very rough calculation, and there are all sorts of other um, things that need to be taken into account, but a, a rough estimate would be about that much. We found out that uh, increasing the roof insulation uh, resulted in no significant net change in energy consumption, and that's for the fourth floor in Q1. And I said other myths because there were other small things like that that people seem to think that would make a huge difference, and they don't actually. The reason is because uh, the, ins the roof insulation in Q1 on the fourth floor, there is insulation already. What we tried was to double it. And what happens is that because, as I said, our, our main um, energy consumption goes towards cooling, in the summer months, uh, if we increase the insulation, we trap more heat inside the building. So, in effect, we have to spend more energy cooling down at the fourth floor and the second and, and third floor. So there's no point in, in doing that. There are other things like blocking the windows that make no difference and partitioning the space. Partitioning the space would probably result in closer control of the four quarters, but would have no effect whatsoever in, in terms of the energy that we would consume to do that. Interestingly, the capacity of the archival material itself, as I said, the paper itself to buffer the, the environment inside the, the space is very, very marginal whilst the air conditioning is running. And, um, and that means that the air conditioning always would overpower the capacity of the paper to change the environment inside the space. Whilst the air conditioning is running, the paper has some effect, but not to the extent that we can rely on that to buffer the, the conditions inside the space. When we tried it without um, the uh, air conditioning running, then yes, it's very obvious how much the paper inside the space can influence the environment, but we do have to run air conditioning for uh, at least for a few months in, in the year, so then the, the paper can't really help us out with that. The projected climate change scenarios uh, showed that there would be an increase in energy load if we want to maintain the conditions at the same levels inside the repositories of 15% by 2050 and 24% by 2080. And these are the worst-case scenarios. And if you remember, uh, in the previous slide, there was a 43% saving uh, if we seasonally drift the set point. So even by 2080, we're still within... Um, the energy consumption that we currently have and even and still making savings 
even if the worst case scenario for climate change materialize, which is not probably very likely. And as I said, under certain conditions, the building can maintain the environment without any air conditioning running, and that's based on the capacity of the paper itself to buffer the environment inside the space. I said under certain conditions because there are other implications like providing a certain amount of fresh air for the staff working in the, in the space, which currently the system can't do, but it could be something that estates and facilities adapt the system to do it. But the model showed that April, May and December, uh, the building alone will hold the conditions within the range that we want without any air conditioning running. And that's because, I mean, it's not hard to, to guess, April, May and December, the conditions outside are roughly the same as the conditions we want to achieve inside the space. So you don't really need um, air conditioning to be running, air conditioning, conditioning the air for nothing. But that's further into the future, whether we will have a system that can do this uh, and still provide the legal requirement for fresh air for the staff working in the repositories. And that will lead me nicely on to the next steps from that. And the next, we're working very closely with the states and facilities, and they are now setting their plans for uh, capital investment for the next few years. The system in Q1 will inevitably at some point need um, changing of parts of it. Um, I think we proved with the, with the model that it doesn't require a complete repowered and, and do again. Um, but there are certain things that they can take into consideration and, uh, and adjust the system so that it can provide the kind of scenarios that we tried out. It's not as straightforward at the moment. So we are in the process of agreeing um, a schedule for the air conditioning system for this to achieve that seasonal drift in, uh, in set points. That inevitably will uh, require us to agree a, a set of relative humidity and temperature requirements for the repositories that we want, because at the moment we are simply above and below a flat line of plus minus 5% all year. But if we want to drift it seasonally, then we have to consciously um, accept that the conditions will be between 40 and 60 or whatever it is that we want to achieve. And also, uh, we have actually tried it for the last few months, powering down the air conditioning system over the weekends. Um, does seem to, um, the savings that, they, that we have achieved by doing that seem to agree very closely with what the model had predicted, so we're happy to continue with this, and we haven't noticed any uh, problems with the uh, environment of the repository, so that will be scheduled on a regular basis perhaps in the future and will happen. It may not happen over certain months in the year when we are operating at the very limit of the capacity of the building and the repositories to hold the conditions where we want. So it's up to us to combine the different scenarios in a way that gives us the maximum saving and the safer sort of range of conditions that we want. So we may uh, say that um, we shut the system down for certain months but not for others. Um, and that's how we can combine the different scenarios and perhaps the 43% saving can become even more if we put them together in a way that increased our, our um, benefit. Estates and, and facilities, as I said, they're currently in the process of planning for the next few years, and there's a whole list uh, there of projects that they have suggested that are informed by the outcomes of the project. And um, I'm not going to go into details. It's not really my area um, that's what they have. Um, that's how they decided they can meet the 
uh, outcomes of the, of the project and materialize the savings that the model has demonstrated. And I don't know how many of these will go ahead, but they are, we are in the process of, um, of doing that. And finally, I'm just going to put a plug about development of standards. The Collection Care and the National Archives at the moment are involved in uh, developing uh, new specifications for um, environmental conditions for storage of um, cultural collections, including archives. And there is a lot of activity around development and revision of standards generally. We hope that the main uh, suggestions from the model will go into the general thinking of the standards like uh, becoming more explicit about shifting the, rel- shifting the set points of an air conditioning system uh, over the year rather than suggest a rigid flat line requirement for the whole year. So hopefully in the future our practice uh, will have somehow informed standards but also the standards themselves will reflect what we do here at the National Archives as well. Thank you. This talk was recorded on the 16th of February 2011 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.